You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The speed at which cyber and artificial intelligence is moving at, it is moving at absolutely light speed. And with that, unfortunately, comes a lot of pluses, but also a lot of things that will actually change your perceptions in the future. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast. This is the show where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I am Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We've got some fun stories to share, and later in the show, I speak with Robert Anderson. He's from the Chertoff Group, and we'll be exploring the implications and technology of deep fakes. And we are back. Joe, you're going to start things off this week. What do you got for us? Well, Dave, just keep things in a light and, and cheery mood. I've got another kidnapping. <laughs> I can always count on you <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to keep it chipper. So there was a, a public safety advisory, actually, that came out as a broadcast email to JHU faculty, students, and staff. Oh, where you work. Uh, exactly. At Hopkins. Yeah. Okay. It's a warning about a scam for foreign students. And it's a, it's another kidnapping scam, but it's a little more clever than the ones that we covered before where there's, you know, just a phone call and somebody screaming in the background. Right. And, you know, we had right. a daughter. So it's as horrific as that is on its own. Right. This is not nearly as horrific, but I mean, it's still terrible. Yeah. But it's a little more creative and it's kind of a complex scam, too. So here's how this scam works. Let's say you're a student from a foreign country. Let's use Wakanda, for example. Well, I mean, I just watched Black Panther. So very good. I've got that. Love in my it. mind. Finally got around to seeing that movie. And you get a phone call from somebody pretending to be from the Wakanda embassy or a consulate. And they're saying that you've been involved in a crime back in Wakanda. Oh. Right. And they demand your cooperation because they're conducting an investigation. Okay. And they tell you, go into hiding and await instructions. In addition, they say, don't contact your family. Don't contact any friends. And don't contact law enforcement because you're in deep trouble, mister. And you're in a foreign country. You're, you're in a you're foreign country. A foreign land. Right. Okay. And back home, you're in trouble. you got something going on, and, and you better stay out of sight. Right. Lay low. Right. So if the Wakandan student follows these instructions, yeah. it effectively ensures that they will not contact their family or their friends. And that's when they make the phone call to the student's parents back in Wakanda. Oh. Right. So they call the parents and they say, hey, we've kidnapped your student. Give us some money. So what do you do if you're a parent? Right. And your student is overseas or far away. You try to contact him, but he doesn't respond. He Mm -hmm. or she doesn't respond because they've been told, lay low because you're in trouble. Right. Don't answer your phone. Oh, my. Right. So we've had a couple of students targeted with this at JHU. Wow. And the advice from the university, and this is something I learned yesterday, Hmm. is that if the FBI has actually set up a task force called the Virtual Kidnapping Scam Task Force. Wow. And they have an 800 number here. It's 1-800-225-5324. Okay. That's the number you call for virtual kidnapping scams. So this is such a problem that the FBI has set up a task force and an 800 number to call and report them. Also, if you're not comfortable contacting the FBI, you can contact your institution's International Students Office or your institution's security force because they're targeting university students. And the way they're doing this is they're going after open source information. So it's open source intelligence collection. Mm -hmm. And they're going to places like Facebook or WeChat, which is a big social media company in China. Right. And they build a profile 
They know where you go to school. They know what your major is. They know your friends that are maybe at home in Wakanda or maybe here in the US. They know all the stuff about you. And then, of course, they know who your parents are. Mm-hmm. So it's it's through the open source intelligence collection process, which is the very beginning of just about all these social engineering attacks. Right. They have built a dossier on somebody that they're going to target. It makes the calls much more plausible to the point of believability. Wow. How do we get the word out to the students? What, what can you do? Well, of course, there's this podcast, Dave, and, <laughs> and everybody should listen to this podcast, right? right. So tell, right, of course. How silly of me. Tell your friends, right? right. Tell your friends right. about this podcast. <laughs> the best thing, if you love your family, right. <laughs> you will <laughs> tell them. That's right. <laughs> okay. Now we sound like the kidnapping scammers. Yeah, right. Go, all right. Go on. <laughs> First off, yes, tell your family about it because- Nothing will prevent you from becoming the victim of a scam better than knowing the anatomy of a scam. When you see this kind of thing happening, the first thing in your head is, oh, this is a scam, Mm -hmm. right? Like we say, inoculation. Inoculation, exactly. And that's kind of the mission of this podcast, as we say every week. Give your parents contact information of your friends, a roommate, or other people they can contact if they're trying to reach you. So your parents would be able to validate that you're safe through one of your friends here. And finally, they say that your family members can contact the International Affairs Office of the university, mm-hmm. with whichever university you're attending. It's an interesting scam, I think. I would like to know what the rate of success is with this, but unfortunately, it's very hard to get those metrics, isn't it? Sure. It's got almost like an elegance to it. I hate to speak highly of, of people like this, mm-hmm. right? But it's got this elegance to it that's admirable. Well, I wonder, too, if how much if there's any component to this where if my family is in a situation where I can send my child overseas to study. Right. It, does that make it more likely that I have I've attained a certain level of affluence? Yes. Uh, and so I have the disposable income to spend on this sort of ransom. Yes. That yeah, I can get I, to I, quickly. Yes. Yeah, chances are that that's the case, because if you can afford to send your kid to a United States school Mm -hmm. from a foreign country, then chances are that you do have disposable income in that country. Of course, everyone in Wakanda is loaded because they have lots of natural resources. That's right. So they have uh, vibranium. That's right. And tons of it. Yeah. All right. Well, it's a good story, Joe. Beware. Spread the word. My story this week, Joe, I, I have to ask you, do you have any robots in your house or at work? any robots. I have a robot kit that I used for my master's research project. Okay. But it's not assembled right now. Okay. So you have a disassembled, a non-functioning robot. Correct. Nearby. I've built robots. Okay. Well, in my house, I have a robot vacuum cleaner. Okay. And my kids have named him DJ Roomba. (laughs) Because he looks like a record. He does. And uh, he goes around and he does his work and he never complains. And one thing I realized, he's been in our house probably about a year or so, Mm -hmm. and I realized that I actually have great affection for this little device. Really? I do. And I'm not sure why. He goes around, he does his work, he doesn't uh, cause any trouble. But what I've noticed is like every now and then he'll get stuck. There's one place in the kitchen where he can sort of get himself jammed underneath the kitchen counter. And, and, and you walk up to it like a stuck kitten and you go, yeah, oh, I, I, exactly what I do. I go, oh, no, DJ Roomba. What? Oh, let me help you out. And I pull him out and I, you know, either I take him back to his little charging station or or whatever, you know. So so somehow I have assigned a personality to the Roomba. Yeah. And uh, to the point where I'm actually, I think I'm actually going to go out and buy some googly eyes and stick them to the top of him so that he, <laughs> so he can just take it all the way, right? Because he can look like Mr. Trash Wheel. Yeah. So he does a similar job. The reason I bring this up is there was an interview on techtarget.com. This is from Michael Heller. And he interviewed a woman named Brittany Straith Posnikoff. 
and she studies robot social engineering. Hmm. And uh, he interviewed her at the 2018 Black Hat Conference. And she's been studying our relationship to robots and how they could be used for social engineering. And it's really a fascinating article. On the one hand, we tend to assign robots personalities like this. We have affection for them. We want them to be more human than perhaps they are. Right. This notion of an automated device in our homes. You know, we think about like R2-D2 and C-3PO. And right. Although I guess you could think about the Terminator or Cylons <laughs> as well. But The Cylons were just misunderstood. Yeah, they want to be our friends and we want them to be our friends. Right. And this article talks about how people often see robots as authority figures. If a robot tells you to do something, chances are you're going to do it or you're going to at least consider it because you think, well, the robot's a computer. It has, it must know what it's doing or mm. what, you know, it, it, if it's giving me an instruction, it's for a reason. And so we give a certain amount of deference to the robot. Mm. Um, but the one thing that really caught my attention in this uh, interview was the researcher, she was saying that uh, she uses these robots for social engineering attacks for basically for pen testing. And she said one of her favorite attacks is to put snacks on top of a Roomba-like robot as a way to get into a locked space. So what they do is they uh, put snacks on top of the robot. She researches who might be in the space. She writes that person's name on a nameplate, puts it on the robot and the snacks on top of the robot. And then by remote control, has the robot go up to the door that she wants to get into, and she has it bump up against the door a few times. Like knocking. Right. And the people come to the door, and they open the door, and who's there? A robot. It's an adorable robot. And right? he brought snacks. And he brought snacks. <laughs> so what are you going to do? You're going to slam the door on the cute robot who comes bearing snacks? No, you're going to let that robot in because that robot is adorable. And he's equipped with cameras and listening devices. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So this is called piggybacking robots. There's a, another researcher who's actually done some work on this. So I just think this is both delightful and brilliant, right? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm troubled by one thing is that people will take orders from robots. I think there's room for some human supremacy here when it comes to dealing with robots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they take orders from us, not the other way around. I see. All right. Well, uh, maybe in your house. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's a, it's a fun article. Uh, do check it out. And there's some interesting things in there. I hadn't really thought about this notion of, you know, what do you do when there's a robot at your door? Well, of course you invite it in because it's, it's adorable. Right. I guess as long as it's not, it doesn't look like the Terminator, <laughs> yeah. which, in which case you close the door and run away and, and go out the back door. Uh, <laughs> so check it out. We'll have a link to the article uh, in the show notes. All right, Joe, it's time for our catch of the day. And our catch of the day this week was sent in by a listener. This was sent in from Dr. Scott. He is a devout listener to the Cyberwire and Hacking Humans. And uh, he got this in his email today and he thought he would send it on to us. This is an email uh, that pretends to be from American Express mm -hmm. and has the American Express logo. Uh, everything looks legitimate, and here's what the message says. We're reaching out about a partial upgrade on our online service platform, and we feel the need to reevaluate card members' profile. Your profile failed to pass our integrity check at the moment of evaluation. However, just to be safe, we declined access to your account and request that you confirm with us what we have on file for you. Uh-oh. Attached along this message is a web-fillable form complete request by downloading and filling out the form. 
And then, of course, there's a link where you can you can click through. And there's there seems to be some broken HTML in this thing as well. Yes, yes. And uh, one of the tip-offs here that Dr. Scott pointed out was the return email address is American Express at... Well, before I get to the... What would you say... What's the abbreviation for American Express? Uh, A-E. Uh, Amex. Amex, right, right. Amex. I think most of us would say, oh, I have my Visa, I have a MasterCard, and I have my Amex, right? right? So the return address on this is American Express at Amep with a P instead ah. of an X... Dot com. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I think American Express should look into acquiring control of the AMEP um, <laughs> domain. Right, right. So pretty straightforward here. There's some funny capitalizations in the message. Yeah, the English is all broken and bad. Uh, yeah, it's, not it's a exactly little a strange. The, uh, this whole need to pass our integrity check at the moment of evaluation. Yeah, <laughs> that's very awkwardly worded. Right, right. Uh, Dr. Scott pointed out that, well, it is a tender moment of uh, that moment of evaluation. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a tender moment for everyone. And that is our catch of the day. Coming up next, we've got my interview with Robert Anderson from the Chertoff Group. Joe, we are back. I recently spoke to Robert Anderson. He is a former national security executive. He is a former executive assistant director with the FBI. And uh, this guy has had quite a career. He's a military combat veteran. He's a former state trooper and a member of a hostage rescue team. Hmm. In 2012, in fact, he was awarded the Meritorious Presidential Rank Award by President Obama. That is an award given to government senior executives. It is the highest award for leadership. So uh, this guy had quite quite a resume here. These days he works at the Chertoff Group, and that's a security organization that was founded by the former U.S. Director of Homeland Security, Michael Chertoff. And uh, the focus of our conversation was on deep fakes. So here's my conversation with Robert Anderson. Deep fake videos, kind of the layman's term of these things, are videos that when you look at them, they look like a certain individual you may or may not know but they actually do not involve the real person at all. They use a surrogate or a source person and then superimpose the face and facial features of the person they're trying to replicate in the video. Now, I think for a number of years now, we've been accustomed to the notion that you know folks who do Hollywood special effects, they've been able to do this sort of thing. We've seen uh, you know, TV commercials with celebrities who may have passed away and things like that. But what we're talking about here is, is a much easier way to come at this. Absolutely, much easier way. And for the main part is you don't even need a real subject, just somebody to mimic that individual. And then through the advancements of machine learning and artificial intelligence, they can then transpose a very lifelike and anymore it's getting very hard to tell them real videos from fake videos and using that individual's face deliver a message either to the private sector, the government or the military that looks believable. Can you take us through some of the potential scenarios here? How would people use this? Uh, How it actually uh, began several years ago is like most things. It was sort of a novelty that people would use on different apps that you could get on your cell phone stores that would superimpose the face of a dog or an animal. And then later on, people became much more malicious and then actually used transposing people's face into pornography and other things. But now it's developed to the point where criminal organizations and nation states can potentially use this type of technology 
to simulate a individual of possibly rank order in the military or a senior person in a company to the point where people would believe this is the actual person giving orders either to transfer money or potentially launch some type of military operation. So very troubling. Is the capability there to do this sort of thing real time or is it still a processor intensive kind of thing? It's definitely a process, but I will tell you the technology, especially in artificial intelligence and machine learning, has evolved so quickly. Several years ago, these types of videos were very easy to spot. The facial movements, the eye twitching, and a lot of other things stood out. And you could tell that something wasn't right with the video. But like with anything else in sort of the modern-day cyber realm, the enhancements have become so significant that they can make these videos in much shorter periods of time. And it is getting increasingly harder and harder for either the private sector or, or the government to determine if these are real or fake videos. I'm thinking uh, when it comes to election security, which is certainly top of mind for a lot of people right now, a lot of times you'll see uh, advertisements from opposing candidates and they'll have video of their opponent uh, saying something that is unappealing or something like that to put words in other people's mouths. That's absolutely true. Uh, They absolutely can do that. And like a lot of what's going on in cyber and artificial intelligence now, Uh, A lot of times the laws are kind of behind where individuals can use the technology to commit either fraud or crimes like we've just discussed. And so the race really is on by not only the government, but the private sector in developing algorithms that will help stop deep fake videos or portrait deep fake videos, which are even the kind of a standard gold standard for these videos Hmm. nowadays and enable us to be able to catch them much quicker, whether they're on social media, as we've seen, that's been a platform for a while now for people to launch kind of malicious attacks or whether it's on television or just an internal communication between companies. Now, is this uh, the kind of thing where there could be a policy solution? Is this the kind of thing where government could crack down on these tools? I think for once, I pretty much think that the government and private sector are pretty aligned with this. In a lot of states, these have already become illegal. Hmm. The hard part is trying to prove quickly enough and being able to attach it to an individual to press charges. I think everybody sees the maliciousness on the low end and then obviously the potential for criminal or counterterrorism or even counterespionage behavior on the far end. And so for that, a lot of times in the last several months, uh, I've seen and been involved in conversations with both the government and private sector on what would you do or how will we best plan to try to catch and capture these things before they cause too much harm. And I can even see uh, lots of different scenarios for this. For example, we get a lot of stories about phishing emails where people will pretend to be a loved one or something like that, asking for money. You know, please send me money. I'm I'm stuck uh, out of town. Can you wire me some money? I could see something like this taking that to the next level. Absolutely right. I mean, if you just look at the way that normal businesses function nowadays, I mean, you know, here just even today, since I've been in the office, I've been on three video conferences and several phone calls. And so think of just normal business activity during the day with tens of thousands of companies around the United States. And you can begin to see how big of a threat this actually is if somebody can fake an individual, especially that has responsibility or the power to influence conducts by the company. It can become pretty uh, frightening. 
What about the bigger picture of this? I mean, obviously, there are specific instances of this sort of technology being able to use to fool people or commit fraud or or things like that. But I'm thinking of just the general sort of societal erosion of what we trust. If you cannot trust your own eyes, the video of someone giving a speech or or something like that, uh, in this era of, uh, you know, so-called fake news, uh, this seems to be leading us farther down that path. It absolutely does. And I think the one thing that it really should impress upon everybody is the speed at which cyber and artificial intelligence is moving at. It is moving at absolutely light speed. And with that, unfortunately, comes a lot of pluses, but also a lot of things that will actually change the perceptions in the future. Do you suppose we, we might see some way to verify that a piece of video footage or audio is legitimate, some sort of uh, chain of uh, custody, if you will? I can see that absolutely happening in the future. And whether it's like, you know, nowadays when you click on your different Internet search engines, it'll tell you if the site you're clicking on is a valid site and it's safe for you to click on it. I can see the same thing very rapidly moving to video type technology, especially because of the threat of uh, deep fake videos. So what's your advice to folks out there who are uh, having to deal with this sort of thing? I mean, is this something that should be on everyone's radar? How should we be protecting ourselves as as uh, consumers going about our day-to-day lives? I think it's a great question. I think the biggest thing is, is if you see something or hear something that sounds not quite right or it doesn't sound like that is something that you've seen that individual say or do before, I think you should stop and question it. And if you can in any way make inquiries to see if that individual actually made that phone call, made that video conference, or you know, check on social media sites to see if other people are questioning the same thing. It's no different than how uh, several years ago when a lot of cyber actors would get CFOs a company to transfer money posing as a CEO, a simple phone call could alleviate that from that organization, even though the email was very convincing. I think the same type of kind of immediate action plan should be formed around deep fake videos. Joe, what do you think? It's an interesting problem. Actually, last week, Carol on uh, Smashing Security was talking about the same problem. Mm. Actually, one of the advancements that they made in deep fakes with blinking. Right. Uh, they used to be easy to spot by the absence of blinking, and now they've gotten around that. The technology has some legitimate applications. It will definitely make life a lot easier for Hollywood special effects artists. Right. And Carnegie Mellon was also saying that it could also help with autonomous vehicles. Hmm. So self-driving cars, which are the way of the future, I guess. Hmm. The, the technology of being able to recognize facial features and so forth? Yeah, I, I think, or I'm not exactly sure. I'm not an expert in uh, artificial intelligence or machine learning, mm-hmm. um, so... I don't know how that would help, and I'm certainly not an expert in autonomous cars yet, but that might be coming up. Who knows? (laughs) These things are are being made illegal. I like that Mr. Anderson points that out. And I heard on Grumpy Old Geeks that there were a number of porn sites that have just banned them. So if you you produce one of these and upload to the site, they they won't have it. So if a porn site is saying something is – they're going to ban something – Maybe that should be illegal, you know? <laughs> right, um, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, if these guys think something creative, these guys make their living living on the very edge of the law. Right. right? And they're very, very good mm-hmm. at, at doing that. And they've been doing it for long enough that they've gotten good at it. But I suppose if it's one of those things where it's kind of not unlike encryption technology where – once the code is out there and right. someone open sources versions of it or whatever, and 
You, you can't put that genie back in the bottle. No, or it's, it's certainly it's, not easy to do. It's out there. There are some AI algorithms that will notice it, that will find, you know, there, there are artifacts that will show up that are recognizable by other machine learning algorithms. Mm -hmm. You guys were talking about like a chain of provenance. Right. And how do you verify videos? Well, you can do that with a simple, you know, digital signature. So let's say you have a news organization that has a video and they're going to sign the video with their private keys. And then you as a, as a citizen watching the video can verify the signature with their public keys. And you don't need to build any new infrastructure. Maybe you need an app, a video playing app that validates the signature with the public keys hmm. and then displays the source. And then you can decide whether or not you trust the source. Right. 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 Seems complicated. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. But we're already doing that with email. Yeah. So I guess. It, it already exists. But you have that, that extra layer of the people who are presenting the newscast, you know, today you know, the, the president of, of XYZ Corporation said such and such. So do you trust that news organization with the, the chain of provenance of the video that they're showing you? Correct. Yeah, that's yeah. the question that you have to decide. Do you trust any news organization to be honest with you and not trying to be manipulative? Right, right. And, no, it's messy. Yeah, it yeah. is messy. It's a, it's a big mess. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more about them at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technology. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our editor is John Petrick. Technical editor is Chris Russell. Executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.